Life Audio. Do you sometimes doubt if you're truly hearing God's voice or if it's really your own? Or have you been in a season where it feels like He's completely silent? Have you been praying for a way to learn how to hear His voice more clearly? Hey friends, I'm Rachel, host of the Hearing Jesus Podcast. If you are ready to grow in your faith and to confidently step into your identity in Christ, then join me as we dig deep into God's Word so you can learn to live out your faith in your everyday life. Hey friends, welcome back to the Hearing Jesus Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Grohl. Today we are walking through Matthew chapter 17, the transfiguration. If you're just joining us, I would encourage you to go back to the beginning of this series where we're walking through an introduction to the Gospels. We're going through little by little where I'm explaining the history, the culture, the things we might miss as modern day readers. If you would like to dive a little bit deeper, we do have some extra resources available to you in the show notes. You can find the links for those. We have daily discussion guides that, of course, take this content and it looks at the content for the kids episodes and it gives you some discussion questions you can discuss at your dinner table or as part of your devotions so that you can grow together spiritually as a family. We also have journaling prompts that helps you get this information from your head into your heart and a bunch of other resources all on our Patreon page. So if you would like to dive a little bit deeper than that and you would like some one-on-one, I offer spiritual direction and life coaching. Again, links for all of that are in the show notes or you could head to shehears.org. So I want to go ahead and I want to read. I'm reading from the NIV today and I'm starting at verse one of Matthew 17. It says, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here, and if you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The disciples asked him, Why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, To be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished, in the same way the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood what he was talking to them about John the Baptist. When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of the boy and he was healed at that moment. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. When they came together in Galilee, he said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. 
They will kill him, and on the third day he will be raised to life. And the disciples were filled with grief. After Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma temple tax came to Peter and asked, Doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he does, he replied. When Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first to speak. What do you think, Simon? He asked. From whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? From their own children or from others? From others, Peter answered. Then the children are exempt. Jesus said to him, But so that we may not cause offense, go to the lake and throw out your line. Take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. So this passage opens up with this scene of the transfiguration. Now, the word transfigured is a Greek word, and the way that that's translated is as a combination of the word meta and morphu, meaning to change into another form. And so the appearance of Jesus in this scene was transformed with his inner glory shining outward. And I love that because it's a reminder that we ourselves, as we are transformed by Jesus, our lives can also take on this version of his likeness as he shines through us and we can reflect his glory to others. And if you remember yesterday at the end of chapter 16 in verse 28, it says, I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. That is the transfiguration that Jesus is referring to. It happened right before this. And so many times that verse is taken out of context and people will even use it as some sort of proof of contradiction or confusion. But it is literally right after he says that, that the transfiguration happens. He's talking about the transfiguration. And again, that's another reason why we need to read scripture within the context of scripture and not isolate things out. So it goes on to talk about the appearance of Moses and Elijah. And in that culture, in that time frame, the disciples would have known all about Moses and Elijah, and it would have confirmed that Jesus was the Messiah to this inner circle of disciples. But this entire scene is something that they would have immediately recognized as familiar, because let me go back and read Exodus chapter 19, verses 16 through 19 to you. It says, on the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning. With a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. So what we see in this passage is familiar to the disciples and it should be familiar to us. The mountain, the cloud, the light, and God's voice. This is a reminder of what happened on Sinai. And then what does God say? Well, in verse five, we hear this echo of what God said at the baptism of Jesus. Remember, he said, this is my son. But this time God adds that extra phrase. He says, listen to him. And you may think, you know what? Yeah, these are the disciples. These three that he's talking to, they always listen to Jesus. But remember what we learned yesterday. Peter is refusing to accept that Jesus is going to suffer and die. Jesus even says, get behind me, Satan, because of of that conflict that they had. And so again, this is another way that God is telling these disciples, listen to what he's telling you. And then in verse 10, The disciples are believing that Elijah would come before the Messiah because that was a common belief among the Jews at the time. It's what they were taught. 
And Jesus claims that that has already happened, that John the Baptist was that Elijah figure that they were looking for. And they really probably didn't recognize that because Herod had killed John the Baptist. He was dead at this point. And so that Elijah figure was rejected from the Jewish people. And so that explanation helps them to understand and come to this realization that Jesus as the Messiah figure, as the Messiah, was going to be rejected as well. Jumping down to verses 14 through 21, I want to talk a little bit about this idea of demon possession. In the ancient world, there were always certain diseases that were always associated with demonic activity. And so the boy in this story appears to have some form of epilepsy. And while we may never quite know for sure if this was the physical condition of epilepsy, or perhaps this was a demonic possession that presented like epilepsy, or maybe even a combination of the two, I want to caution you against a couple things. First, we can't think that all forms of things that look like this, whether it's epilepsy or some other predictable physical ailment, we can't think that all forms of those things are demonic. Just like we can't think that all of the physical illnesses that we see are necessarily described you know, even though they didn't know what they were at the time, they, we could recognize them. Sometimes there was a blurry line between the two. And all of the exorcisms that Jesus did, they may have some sort of mental or physical presentation that we would know about, but maybe they don't. Maybe they look familiar to us and we can guess, but maybe they aren't that at all. And so what I want to caution you against is just looking at these things and saying, well, this wasn't really a demon. This was just epilepsy. Maybe, but maybe not. Jesus himself said, you have to remember, Jesus said that exorcism, casting out of demons, was one of the primary examples of his power over evil. And we see that in Matthew chapter 12, and we'll see it again later in Luke chapter 11. But there is some level of mystery that we may not understand this side of heaven, because there is some sort of connection between medically recognizable conditions and demon possession. So whether there's some sort of combination of going on, sometimes the enemy will try to counterfeit things just to kind of stay underneath the radar. You know, if you think it's epilepsy, then maybe you won't cast the demon out, that kind of thing. Let's not pigeonhole things into certain categories because the truth is, is we don't really know. But I think the bigger issue is that there's a bigger point. The point is that Jesus has power over the dark forces of evil and things that we don't even understand, things that plague us as humans, as part of the human condition, Jesus has power over. So whether he is healing somebody that has an actual disease or he is casting out a demon of somebody that has demonic activity, he knows that. We don't need to know that. The only thing we need to know is that regardless of what it is, Jesus can handle it. And then verse 20, I want to reflect just a little bit on this idea of faith, the faith the size of a mustard seed. It's a, it's a very famous saying that most people know it. Some people even wear necklaces that have mustard seeds inside of them. But what's going on here? Well, we see that Jesus is frustrated with the disciples because, again, they show this lack of faith. And Jesus frequently talks about the nature of the true kind of faith, the kind of faith that moves mountains. And he can use that kind of faith to heal people and in general accomplish miracles and very big things as part of the kingdom and the establishment of the kingdom on earth. But true faith 
is not faith in some sort of just power or force on its own. It's faith in God. God is the object of our faith and has to be the focus in order for our faith to be effective. And so if you think about it, a mustard seed is extremely tiny. It's very, very tiny. And by God's grace, we as believers already have at least that much faith because we exercise that faith to become followers of God, to receive salvation in the first place. That's an act of faith. And so it's not necessarily about how much faith we have. It's more about what we do with our faith. And so we have to direct our faith to exercise it. And so Jesus is the object and the subject and the source of our faith. Faith is not something that we can create. It's a gift that God gives us. And it's a work of God within our hearts as we get to know him more. And so our level of faith is a connection and a reflection of our relationship with God. It's this understanding and this awareness that God gives us and knowing that he hears us and he answers our prayers. That all happens through the context of relationship. You know, just like I have faith that when I sit down in this chair, it's going to hold me. It's the result of the relationship that I have with this chair. It held me yesterday. It held me earlier today. It's reliable. It's not broken. So I know that when I sit down in this chair, based on the relationship I have with this chair, it's going to hold me. Or maybe it's my relationship with my husband. I know my husband is reliable because of the relationship I have with him, because of the behavior he has exhibited throughout our relationship. My faith in him is based on my relationship with him. And so there's a lot of aspects of our faith that come as a result of our relationship with God. And that takes time. It takes intention. It comes as a result of the time we put into our relationship with God. You know, if we never read the word, if we never pray, if we never spend time in worship, we can pretty much guarantee that we are not going to have the kind of faith that grows, the kind of faith that moves mountains. And while faith certainly is a gift, and don't get me wrong, faith is a gift that God gives us. The amount of faith that we have is reciprocal based on the relationship that we have. And true faith is a gift from God through Jesus, but it's important that we need to grow closer to Jesus to understand him better, to understand his word better. And as we do that, our relationship with him deepens and our devotion to him deepens and our confidence in him deepens to the point where, you know, we understand that, that the scriptures say that Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. And it also says, apart from him, we can do nothing. This means that as we pursue this more intimate relationship with God and we have an awareness of his presence in our lives, that is the source of the strength of our faith. And faith being a gift from God is to be used for his purposes, not for our own selfish desires. God gives us what we need so that we can accomplish his purposes and what he has called us to do. And then real quickly, I want to talk just a little bit about the temple tax. The tax is commanded in the Torah, and we see that in the Exodus. We also see that in Nehemiah. But at the time, there was different groups of Jewish people that understood that commandment about the temple tax differently. The group of people, the Essenes, that were the ones that were largely responsible for the Dead Sea Scrolls, they argued that the tax needed to be paid only once in a lifetime, according to the Torah. Whereas the rabbis were teaching that, no, it needed to be paid every single year. And so these tax collectors likely were asking this question, trying to figure out where Jesus stood on the issue. Because again, remember what he's been doing. He's been interpreting the law throughout his teaching and helping them understand what he truly meant. What was the intention of the law? And so Jesus 
we know is paying this tax. And then we also learn here that Peter is at least 20 years old because at that time frame, the tax was only applied to men that were 20 years old and over. So we see Jesus making this provision to pay the tax and it helps us understand that despite how Jesus challenged the interpretations of the law, he was himself still obedient to the law. And I think that's important because if Jesus was obedient to the law, it helps us understand that we need to be obedient to the law, even if we're challenging it. So given that insight, I'm going to go back and read chapter 17 of Matthew. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And just then there appeared to be before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The disciples asked them, Why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, To be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. When the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of the boy and he was healed at that moment. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. When they came together in Galilee, he said to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. And the disciples were filled with grief. After Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma temple tax came to Peter and asked, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he does, he replied. When Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first to speak. What do you think, Simon, he asked, from whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes, from their own children or from others? From others, Peter answered. Then the children are exempt, Jesus said to him, but so that we may not cause offense, go to the lake and throw out your line. Take the first catch you have, open its mouth, and you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and for yours. God, we thank you for the way that you are revealed to us through your word. God, help us to recognize that we can reflect your glory in the same way as we have faith and we share our faith with others. God, help us to recognize that faith is a gift from you, but it is a connection to our relationship with you. God, that as we spend more time with you, that faith grows and grows. God, help us to be obedient with that faith. Help us to exercise that faith in a way that brings glory to you and to your kingdom. God, I pray for my friends right now that are listening, God, that you would impart wisdom to them by your spirit through your word. 
Lord, I thank you for the treasure of your word. Help us to realize its value for our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, friends, thanks for listening. Hey, friends, as we lean into a new month and we continue to learn and grow together, there's a couple resources I want to make sure you know about so you can take advantage of. The first is our Patreon page, and the link for that is in the show notes. And on the Patreon page, we have a couple things. We have a dedicated space that is for discussion, for asking questions. You get easy access to me where we talk about things. We hold each other accountable. There are resources that go with the show, like a journaling prompt worksheet download for every single adult show. We also have family discussion guides. And what's really been neat about those is that on the kids show every day, I talk about the same content that's on the adult show, just taught in a way that kids can understand. Then the family discussion guides create an environment for you to process that information with your children. You can use that at the dinner table or even as part of your devotional routine. There's some suggested prayer and activities and things to help you connect that content to the appropriate age for your children. So all of that is on the Patreon. Also, there's some prophetic words, extra videos, transcripts, all those kinds of things. The second is on our website. If you go to shehears.org, there's a shop resources page that has my Bible studies that I've written, links to different journaling Bibles, note-taking Bibles, all sorts of resources to help you grow. And then also on our website, we have the coaching section. If you are finding that you need some spiritual direction or life coaching, that is available for you as well. And that's really good to help you process what you're learning. If you're feeling stuck, if you need to work through something, if something just isn't sitting right, or if you want to teach this content and you need to help develop a plan, I'm available to help you do that as well. Again, all of these are resources to help you grow in your spiritual life and hear God's voice more clearly. I want to take just a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on the podcast. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you will find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. Hey friends, if this podcast helped encourage, empower, or equip you in your walk with God, I would love it if you would head over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a review. That's the number one way you can support my show. You can also join our free Facebook community or Instagram page where I share inspirational tips, bonus content, resources, and prayer throughout the week. Hey, I want you to know I'm praying for you. Know that you are so loved. Keep going.